Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, a podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. We are your hosts, Jenny Gladman and Ben Sparks. And across the podcast, we'll be interviewing leaders, forward thinkers and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges and rewards of working in clean tech. From transforming transport systems to accelerating the EV revolution, in this third series, we'll be exploring the pioneering technology at the cutting edge of future mobility, helping to connect us in the cleaner, greener world of tomorrow. In addition to offering you some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage and inspire everyone to live their purpose every single day. So I have been very excited for today's recording. It's actually my first uh, recording since coming back from maternity leave. It's my first recording with my very own brand new, excellent stateside co-host, Mr. Ben Sparks. And also the guests are two of my absolute favorites from the industry and two other people who were very kind to me when I joined the sector and gave me lots of time and insights and information and introductions. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome the kind, all-round good egg, very knowledgeable Sarah Sloman. Hi. And one of her EV Cafe partners in crime, Mr. Gridserve himself, Sam Clark. <laughs> Hello. I'm not sure I'm Mr. Gridserve, but hi. I think you are. So what uh, what we're going to be discussing today is all things EV. Uh, myself and Ben will be leading the questions here and the very knowledgeable duo will be sharing their insights and wisdom from their career in the sector. And I think it's safe to say what they don't know about EV ain't worth knowing. So uh, Sarah, over to you first, if you want to give us a quick introduction into who you are. I mean, that was a very kind introduction. Whilst you were speaking, I was praying that it was going to be me that you were talking about because I was very flattered. <laughs> but thank you. And let me assure everybody listening, there is so much more to learn. And that's one of the reasons for taking part in this podcast is whilst we are experienced and we have been here for quite a long time, this is why we do the roles that we do. It's all about innovating and trying to find a pathway that gets us to the transition faster away from internal combustion engines. So I've devoted my whole career to this ever since I began in traffic and transport and engineering teams right through to putting in infrastructure for electric charging hubs. So now I've jumped the fence and I'm on the software side trying to make that customer experience a little better for people who turn up to the machine that works perfectly well but for some reason just can't pay and it's very frustrating when that happens. And Sam? Yeah I mean how do you follow that? First of all I'm disappointed that it wasn't me you were talking about when you explained things in the introduction. I just got Mr Chris there was that it? But uh, but no uh, Julie, Julie deserved for Sarah there but um yeah, I'm uh, I'm Chief Vehicle Officer at Gridserve. I've been in the EV industry for nearly 20, I've been driving EVs for nearly 20 years, which Sarah's heard me say countless times over the years, but indeed it's true. So I've been around for a very long time, um, developing electric motorbikes and scooters, running a, a last mile delivery company for a decade in central London with a fully electric fleet, uh, and now a very proud member of, not Mr. Gridserve, but a proud member of Gridserve, uh, which is building the, the, the best, the fastest, the, uh, the most prevalent, the most strategically important network that there is in the UK. I'm a bit biased, but I think it is. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been going from strength to strength lately. So I'm um, very, very proud to be part of that now. So uh, I've done a little bit of everything as far as EVs are concerned, I think. 
Amazing. Well, thank you both. Uh, and it's safe to say Ben was pretty excited to join the party today when I explained your backgrounds. He is driving all things mobility for Brightsmith in the US. So, uh, Ben, if you want to give us a quick hi. Hi. Um, yeah, just really, um, I, th I think this is going to be super exciting for our US listeners as well, because obviously very big differences between the European and UK landscape and what we've got going on over here, but definitely some parallels that people can draw. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pumped. And speaking of the parallels, um, I think one of the things that is totally unchanged across the UK, the US, wherever you are in the world, is the need to put the user, the customer, the driver, whatever you would like to call them, front and center when we're looking at the future of the space. And I know this is one of the things that Sarah is extremely passionate about. So I'm actually going to hand over to you to have a, a quick chat around exactly why that is important not just for the now but more so for the future thank you it's really so important to highlight because whilst i perform this role now i'm the director of future fleet at paythrough and paythrough handles all the complicated stuff behind the scenes that the end user really doesn't need to see they just need to turn up to a charger have an app that works and then have a system with which to pay and that shouldn't be painful it shouldn't be a mystery it shouldn't be a different price at different places and if it does have to be there shouldn't be some complicated reconciliation that goes with that so i really want to see this future where you can just turn up decide where you want to park and pay for your parking and you're charging all at the same time and just a fee. It doesn't matter. You haven't got to work that out for yourself. You you, you kind of, all you can eat data equivalent of parking and charging is, is the panacea for me. But because of my experience in infrastructure and understanding the, the balance points between how many rapids and ultra rapids, and even that language is confusing versus the number of AC and DC charges that we need. I think we need, there's a long way to go to making this seem as simplistic and as easy as when people have been used to refueling their internal combustion engine vehicles. So as a direct fleet though this presents a whole nother different problem for me when you're paying for something it's irritating to have a suspended transaction that you don't know why you've got 30 pounds that hasn't reconciled in your account as a pending well imagine if you're a fleet driver and have to do that multiple times during the day or worse still have to take your vehicle home and have no idea where you're going to charge it and this is why i fully support the work the grid server doing and other cpos charge point operators across the country who are making accessibility towards charging better every single month and i always hark back to an amazing scenario where i used to get phone calls all the time at my local authority experience where we were wasting all this money on ev charges and then by the time i'd which was only a few years ago, we actually were being begged to spend more. Why are you not spending more? It has to happen. We're at this amazing situation now. I called this this the summer of discontent. I was very worried about companies and businesses and people buying their electric cars and then actually struggling to essentially refuel them with electricity. But so far, end of August, we haven't seen the massive queues I was predicting, but we haven't even begun to flood the market yet. Sarah, you, you, you touched on... Um... Uh, payments and you gave us a bit of detail there um, what what can we expect from financial payments when it comes to EV charging and and you know personally and regards to fleets in the future what's uh, what do you think the, the future is going to hold well many people find it quite a dull subject and it's extremely complex as you'd imagine but the things that excite me about it are how innovative it's being now all the multiple ways that you are used to paying for things you should be able to pay for your ev charging and parking too so we're big fans of collaboration we're trying very hard to support the charge point operators the cpos in the country just to work out what their users are saying and what is the difference between joe public and the fleet 
people who want to use the chargers as well. So it's a two-way street. We need to develop software that can support those payment platforms in a really sort of intuitive and intelligent way, but we're not going to know until we try, right? So we're doing a lot of testing with um, people who are willing to let us do that. We're doing a lot of sort of market feedback, particularly with fleet drivers, and seeing how instead of creating yet another app, we can instead embed our software into other people's apps. You know, what's so beautiful about Payther and what I love about working there is that we are in fact agnostic. So we want to make sure we're supporting everyone and it can be completely behind the scenes and bring that cost down, bring that sort of friction, irritation down and make sure that the money, the people's money is getting to the charge point operators. Awesome. And, and, and Sam, um, obviously, you know, you, you gave a really good intro into your, your background with regards to sounding more general around electrification and, and mobility, but um, I think it's easy to forget how far we've come sometimes, you know, these little frustrations with people at a charge are waiting for something to happen. Can you give us a bit of your views on sort of how we have accelerated over the last few years and maybe looking back, some of the key things you think are really kind of fantastic that we actually have now when it comes to customer experience and, and charging? Yeah, I think if I'm not careful, I'll start sounding like an old man. I remember the days when there was a three socket on the side of the road, you know, um, so a lot of that stuff is largely obsolete now. And I think I think I wrote a post recently on LinkedIn about the fact that um, not a lot has changed, but at the same time, so much has changed because the fundamentals are still the same, um, you know, in terms of plugging something in. But the way in which we do it and the, and the mechanisms by which we do it, as Sarah just explained, has obviously changed dramatically over the last few years. But, yeah, I mean, back in the day when I first had my, my EVs, you know, 10 miles was was a good range in totality. That's how far the vehicle would go, um, whereas now it's three to 300 mile range so already that's changed dramatically you know the way in which we can put power into vehicles has changed the the, the strength and the robustness of the batteries has changed the the, tele, the the computer technology and the way in which we manage batteries has changed so the longevity of the batteries is so much longer than it used to be um so yeah things in that regard technologically have developed tremendously over this time but with that as again as sarah alluded to we've created complexity rather inevitably in an emerging market there's lots of different ways of doing the same thing and and we do need to now start to simplify things again, because whilst fundamentally EVs are fairly straightforward and simple, they've got very few moving parts, they've got low maintenance, there's a battery, there's a controller, there's a motor, and that's pretty much it. Um, there are you know, complexities around charging times, around charging connectors, around charging curves, around a kilowatt and a kilowatt hour. A, what is a CCS or a CHAdeMO? What's an AC or a DC connected? There's so many things like that, that we've got quite a lot of work to do to try and explain to people now and, and, and try and boil it back down to those sim simple sort of terms and, and methodology, which makes life a bit easier for the, for the new boys, the new or new boys and girls of the 98% in the UK of, of drivers that aren't driving an EV yet. Um, and, and we've got to try and educate them as well as transition them into this new marketplace. Which I think is what GridServe do do so well. If you've got the opportunity to go and see the Braintree or the Norwich uh, hub that GridServe have built, you can actually feel that experience all around you because there's screens, there's people, there's a really nice environment to wait in whilst your car charges or your van charges or soon, I'm sure, heavy goods vehicle because that's where we're going is this isn't a sort of one size fits all thing. And some people will just want a top up charge because they've got a charger at home. But GridServe welcomes everybody to kind of we've even got exercise bikes and nice cafes and shops that grid serve and of course the whole sun to wheel principles really captured the imaginations of the public oh thanks for that plug sarah but um yeah you're right i'm, I'm actually at braintree one of our electric forecourts uh today and i've been here all day and and i've seen i've seen high performance sports cars like the porsche take and i've seen a british gas van a royal mail van a 
a uh, electric minibus that operates from here, moving people around in the local area where there isn't a bus route or a taxi opportunity for people. So already we're seeing quite a diverse mix of vehicles coming here every single day, and that's only going to continually get get more broad as well. So, um, so yeah, it's great. It's great to see so many different types of electric vehicle being being charged here every day already. And actually, uh, Sarah stole one of my later questions of sun to wheel. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna mix shit up and turn uh, turn the podcast on its head and take our renewable energy section of the end and bring it straight back. So Sam, tell us about sun to wheel. Yeah, it's a lovely little phrase that which we've um, developed here at GridServe, but it but it it covers the wider industry. So. Um, the the, uh, the phrase has been taken from the original well-to-wheel analogy, which is largely predicated on digging oil up out of the ground, uh, refi- or transporting it, refining it, transporting it again, putting it into a petrol station, uh, and then putting it into a vehicle, and then burning that petrol, um, losing seventy or eighty percent of the of the uh, of the uh, energy and heat, uh, and then what's left drives the wheels and sticks out horrible carcinogenic fumes out of the exhaust pipe. So that's kind of how we've operated. And I've made a negative spin on it, but ultimately that's how it works. Um, the, the logic that grids have applied is kind of the same. It's We call it sun to wheel rather than well to wheel. Uh, both scenarios is harvesting sunlight. Um, the difference being one takes 250 million years to develop and we dig it up out of the ground and we burn it. The other piece of sunlight comes out of the sky on day one. So we're, we're harvesting sunlight in the same way. It's just we're doing it on day one or day minus one. Um, so that's that's the harvesting of, of sunlight. Um, our oil refinery is battery storage. We use that for arbitrage. We trade on that energy. So we store it in large batteries. We distribute that in and out of the grid. And we also push that energy into the into the network, whereby we sleeve that energy back out again into our infrastructure, which we've got all over the country. 85% of the service stations has a grid serve charger on it now. Um, and, that, and then we have our, our charging infrastructure, which, which is the equivalent of the petrol station. Um, and then that energy, um, green renewable energy, is distributed into our vehicle network. We lease an, um, electric vehicles to end users as well. Uh, and our well to wheel, our wheel is the same as a, as a petrol wheel, except it's zero tailpipes. There's no emissions. And so all of the energy being consumed in that vehicle, or most of it, um, is going into the uh, driving of the wheels and obviously emitting no pollution during the same the same process. So sun to wheel, well to wheel, ultimately the same thing except um, the sun to wheel doesn't burn stuff. Uh, and, uh, and we're very proud of the fact that it doesn't burn stuff. So it's a much, much better way um, of utilizing energy. I couldn't agree more. And actually we're seeing more and more um, collaborations between uh, charging companies and solar companies and, and seeing that there's just an absolute need for this to happen straight away. And I think that is gonna be one of the things that really pushes us forward. It's an interesting topic. I was actually listening to a podcast the other week, so I'm going to completely steal the question. And they were talking about as we build the infrastructure, and especially as we look at EV at scale, right? When we look at fleets, holding the, um, the utilities companies and the providers uh, accountable for making sure that the electricity is for actually from a clean source, which I'd actually never even thought about before. And especially in the US, where we've got such a, a huge amount of different providers. But um, have you got any sort of thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think it's one of those things that I said earlier has really captured the imagination of the public because people are, people want to do the right thing. They want to think that they're not having a negative impact on their environment, be that locally or globally. Even the naysayers don't like the idea that they're doing the wrong thing. So if you can do something as simple as switching to a renewable energy tariff, then you're on the right tracks. 
at the moment, it's a really hot topic. It's a really sensitive topic. It's actually very difficult for a lot of people to even pay their bills. So it feels rather verbose to come on talking about all these amazing electric vehicles when really some people are choosing between, what's the phrase, heat and eat. So it's poignant. However, using a renewable energy source should theoretically be a more affordable way to go because a lot of these price cap issues are due to the sort of global problems that we're experiencing. But localised energy can be something that can support a community and help them to thrive. And that arbitrage that Sam described earlier with sort of storing the energy within larger batteries is extremely clever because you at the end of every day on the grids they kind of like have to dump energy if it doesn't have the right places to go so you can generate it but getting it to where it needs to be is a whole different game so if there's a way of storing that surplus you can do it on a micro scale in terms of your fleet hub for example if you're trickle charging those bigger batteries all night you can then use that energy again the next day when otherwise it would be more expensive to do so we're seeing an amazing grand designs live last year on the stage very unusual to be asked questions i literally cannot answer but the people in the audience are becoming so aware of their options around renewable energy opportunities or how best to decarbonize their home and what i love about that is it's almost pester power it's going through to their employment workplaces as well so they're being asked at work when are you getting electric vehicle charging where's the solar arrays can we have batteries and i think what happens next of course like always, that word, that lobbying will get through to sort of government, government will make decisions, that will trickle down to local government. And I'm hoping that we'll see lots of grants available again, like we did before, so that people can experience a cleaner, greener home. Which is super interesting, isn't it? Because that's a, a cultural shift. And, um, you know, again, I've talked to someone about autonomous the other week, and, and, and they were saying like, that's much of a cultural um, shift and, 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 um, uh, and, and viewpoint than actually just a technological one. So yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear that from the grassroots, you can sort of start to build that, that community of people looking to, to be better at, uh, at cleaner energy. It feels more like a cultural migration than a cultural shift. You know, I've been learning about this for a really long time since I saw the Rio summit of 1992 was the thing that really piqued my interest in all of this. And I've devoted my entire education to it since. And every single job I've had has had to be to do with engineering, sustainability or infrastructure, because we simply have to move faster than this. We have to build more equipment that helps people to make that change. And that's why I find so motivating about our industry. It's such a supportive place. And actually, Brightsmith Group, you guys are really pulling together the talent that's going to build this future for us. That's something we talk a lot about in the EV Cafe is we just don't have the future talent available yet. And that gap is massive. That gap is absolutely huge between people that can even work on the vehicles, let alone the rest of the electricity system. You know, I've got stepkids who are teenagers and, and they haven't been offered an opportunity to come into this industry and have sort of hands-on experience how to change things. Why is that? I really don't know the answer. I was going to say a point about the cultural shift or cultural migration, I think is a really interesting topic as well, because um, quite often it's very natural to try and do a like for like comparison between one thing and another. And sometimes it just isn't. So in an electric vehicle, um, well, often we talk about TCO, total cost of ownership, and trying to make that comparator to a, to a petrol or a diesel equivalent, which is OK. You know, we do need to do that. And it does demonstrate that there is there is cost savings to be to be um, achieved by driving an EV. But they're not the same thing. You know, an electric vehicle can't go the same distance as a, as a diesel vehicle can just now. But you can't fill your car up with diesel on your driveway either. You know, so there's different ways in which we've got to try and work out, you know, trying to get people to to do little shifts, maybe not a complete migration, but, but just a little shift into just behaving or having a, a pattern of, of utilizing these things just ever so slightly differently to what they're used to today. And hopefully, you know, with with with, with little little movements like that, we'll be able to make big changes. But um, you know, the, the, we've just got to try and yeah get that cultural shift moving, but but not frighten people in the process. 
I couldn't agree more. I think um, the term shift sounds so huge, so massive and such a big, hard thing to do. I sort of thought the migration felt more, more gradual and as a group. So it's about that kind of behavior change trigger where something about your life needs to be shifted, whether you change jobs or move house. Um, I love that thing where you can't put diesel on your car on the driveway either. I haven't got a home charger. I haven't had a home charger. I do 20,000 miles a year electric with giants like GridServe supporting me the whole time. Um, and other, other CPOs are doing the same. We've had Osprey just open a new hub last week. We're seeing I really up their game as well with the amount of bays available it's confidence i think if any listener takes anything from this podcast it's give people confidence more infrastructure is coming choice of vehicle is coming cost of ownership is coming down have confidence in your user experience there's businesses like mine doing everything we can day and night to make that user journey much easier it's not complicated it should be the same as just paying for your diesel and petrol and beef hula hoops are good by the way you know whatever you want to do whilst you're having your refueling experience it should be easy and fun and just not a problem. Nothing should be a problem in this transition. Let's work together to make that happen. Couldn't agree more. And I am going to touch on one of the things you mentioned before was just around kids, as you were saying, but younger people coming out of school, university, apprenticeships and not having those opportunities. And I think they are there, but we're in an industry and a sector that's growing so quickly that actually sometimes the, the opportunities at the bottom are getting lost. And I would say for anybody out there who is a young person who has the passion and wants a career with purpose, keep pushing because those opportunities are out there, but they're not always as obvious. And the one thing you hugely have in your favor compared to some other sectors is there are not enough people with experience and relevant experience in this space. So Everybody has to think a little bit more big picture. We can't keep hiring people into EV or even into clean tech who have that experience. We need people with different experiences, different ideas. One thing I think working in this space has taught me, some of the best ideas come from those young people with no experience, but they're just smart at problem solving. So I think if you want to be in this space, keep pushing. And if you can't find an in, talk to myself and Ben, and we might not have that in, but we can help you with how to get it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think there's, um, you know, one thing I always remind myself of in, in the UK is that um, whilst EVs are only 2% of the vehicles on the road, it's never out of the news. You know, EVs are in the news every day. The EV infrastructure is in the news every day. The, the law is changing in, uh, where are we, eight years time, banning petrol and diesel new vehicles in, in the UK. So not only not only is it always in the news, and the law is changing to mean that EVs are going to be here and here for a very, very long time. Um, it's it's only 2% of the, of the vehicles on the road, maybe just under 2%. So the, the growth potential and the opportunity for, for new people coming into the market is colossal and it's not a it's not a if it's a when and it, when is kind of now anyway so yeah now is it couldn't be a better time to move into what is a an emerging market not just in the uk but globally because you know, the ev transition is going to happen everywhere different rates different speeds of course uh, but it's happening everywhere um so what a golden opportunity for the next generation and and you do not need to be an engineer or a software developer or extremely technically minded to work in this sector you just need to believe in it, to be passionate about it, and often to be creative as well. It's a sector that's evolving so quickly that actually, if you're not creative, regardless of your role, we won't take that step forward because the um, the roadmap we've got today just won't get us there in time. 
what are what are some of the key learns looking back on sort of your time so far in in, in EV and infrastructure? What's uh, what some of the key learns the rest of the world could take from from the UK if you had to do it all again? I think something I'm particularly proud of is I've always maintained a level of authenticity. So time is very short in this transition. I don't have time for something I don't believe is going to work. And I'm lucky to back that up with my own research and experience to make those choices. And that's not just the things I put my hands on, but it's who I work with as well. And when you get it's an incredibly powerful moment when you get lots of people in a room who have the same direction of travel as you and the same commitment and passion to make it actually happen. We will work weekends, we will work evenings, we just don't care. Because that means we get to the milestones and the deadlines quicker. And I work in a lot of um, funding streams, so short-term, long-term central government funding streams. And they come with them really stringent targets, probably more so than a privately funded project, actually. Um, So that's meant I personally have cut my teeth in what's often teased as not being a ferocious environment, but it is hard. You are held to ransom all the time. You have to talk across different departments all the time. It's not as simple as finding a way to get the job done. You have to be very clever, very savvy, sort of find a way to communicate where everyone feels involved and that collaboration can be really strong, but authentic. So no, no hoodwinking, no lying, being very realistic about your expectations. And that seems to be a really key message for me, for anyone who's inspired to be in this industry. We move fast. We need you to move fast. We need you to be honest and open so that we don't trip up or lose our way. Um, yeah, I think if I was going to have a crack at answering that, um, then it would be um, we spend, Sarah and I and many others in the industry spend a lot of time myth busting uh, and trying to explain to people why things they think are the case aren't the case. Um, and I think probably with hindsight, um, whilst we are reasonably knowledgeable in this particular space, uh, certainly one mistake I think I've made is, is assuming everybody else knows what I know and they don't, you know, and, and, uh, and they wouldn't do because it's an emerging market. And and we probably should have done better in the early days as a, as an industry to try and myth bust before the myths need busting. Uh, because a lot of the stuff around mobile phone batteries dying after a couple of years, which is legitimate, is not the case in electric vehicles. And yet, because they've both got lithium in, everyone thinks um, oh, the, you know, these EVs are no good because the batteries will be dead in a few years' time. It's simply not the case. Um, so, but we now we now have to sort of retrospectively trying to trying to claw back some of those those misconceptions. Uh, whereas if we were a little bit more clear in the first instance, it might have helped. But it is what it is. The horse has bolted in that regard, and now we've just got to try and do our best to help um, the next generation uh, have a better a better understanding. Um, whether it be members of parliament, I've seen tweet lately, which with with statistics that make me want to cry because they're so far out um, through to the general public. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of education need to, needing to be done across the entire spectrum of the, of, the, um, of the demographic, really, whoever you are. And I think just to, to add to that, people that are new EV drivers, um, I see the landscape becoming clearer and clearer. And I think that if you, if you look back a couple of years, people would get an EV and you feel totally lost because you don't actually know what to do. And I think, Sarah, you touched on this at the start. It might have been Sam. My, my brain is end of day. Um, but but the different types of chargers, the different things you need, where you can charge different apps. And it's it, it's just an absolute jumble. And actually, that's becoming more clear. And there's companies out there that will support you with every step of, of your journey, so to speak, into that world of EV. Um, but I think also promoting those companies and making sure that when people do enter into that world, that they get the support and they're kind of there for each other is absolutely crucial. And also sometimes having a little bit of patience that, yes, you might have to wait for a charger sometimes, but you're doing the right thing by doing that. Um, and it's really not very often. And, you know, get some beef hula hoops. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Get me some. That's, that's a funny point to end on, though, because actually people are creatures of habit and you very quickly learn who are your favourite charge point operators and why. So somebody I spoke to the other day, his absolute favourite is Instavolt because he just loves the people they've partnered with. I don't know if I'm allowed to name drop some big brands here, but that's why they choose to go to Instavolt because they want to get that type of food from that shop at the same time. And when I was a diesel driver, I did go diesel. I was convinced that was the right thing at the time. <sighs> Sad times. But when I was, I always used to go to the Marks and Spencer's cafe because I like the coffee. We're just we're just simple creatures and we get very used to these things. And the absolute best thing ever would be if you're lucky enough to have a driveway and you charge at home, make sure it's overnight on a renewable tariff with flexible pricing so that you know what you're getting. Smart charge it all through your phone. It's very simple to do. It's the same as you can turn your washing machine on with your phone now as well. It's 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 not as scary as people think when they lift the lid and have a little peek. I agree. And I think EO just announced a solar partnership today. So there are home charging companies out there that are doing great stuff as well. Absolutely. And that's long been a thing. You know, we've got Zaptec, Easy, they've always integrated solar renewable energy or, or provide the equipment with which to turn your home into a little power grid so that you can make sure you're benefiting from your own your own renewable energy yourself. Um, and also Indra, UK manufactured uh, charger, has just released the vehicle to home, which means that you can use your own car's whatever's left in the battery essentially to power your home at the point at which the grid is under the biggest strain knowing full well that it will be topped up for you whilst you sleep when things are calmer on the grid so congratulations to indra awesome i suppose just just before we come to a close um you know we touched on fleets earlier but you know what are some of the, the sort of big ticket items or big ticket problems you think that we we can now face with with sort of the ev at scale in in, in sort of the in, in that journey Shall I go first? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple there that spring to mind. One is digital, and one is physical. I think the, the digital one um, is the way in which fleets um, operate and exist within these infrastructures. There's, there's, you know, there, there is a simplicity that we all need to adhere to in terms of a contactless payment solution. All of you know, all of grid serve charges you can you can charge out as conveniently and easy as buying a coffee. It's just a swipe of your debit or credit card. But as a fleet, that's actually not that useful because what they want is a consolidated um, opportunity to to charge and collect all of those details and then be invoiced in arrears at the end of the month, which is far better than going through expenses and administration and all the rest of it. So there's lots of different ways in which fleet need to need to have digital solutions, which make it easy, whether it be roaming or whether it be a a, a fleet relationship with a particular um, charge point operator. Um, that's the kind of thing that, that now needs to be developed to make it more convenient for people to be able to charge in a fleet in a fleet environment. Um, and then the physical. Uh, big ticket are things like um, vans, trucks, uh, HGVs, heavy goods vehicles, tractors, caravans, all those big things which are going to be electrified as well in the next few years. And most certainly in the UK, and I suspect globally, most of the infrastructure is predicated on a car. Whereas there's lots of long, awkward things that are also going to need charging in the future and probably but with a lot more battery capacity and a lot higher power charging. So that's the other thing that now, another nut that needs to be cracked, certainly in the UK and I'm sure elsewhere, is how we charge commercial traffic, how we work that out. And that's certainly something I'm spending a lot of my time on at the moment in the UK is, is trying to work out how we um, diversify and, and grow our infrastructure to support commercial traffic um, to which there are hundreds of thousands of vans and lorries out there that are going to need to be um, electrified as well um, as we get closer to this um, this ban on on petrol and diesel. So I can think of some, yeah, some pretty pretty big ticket, big hitting digital and physical challenges ahead. But um, but we're braced for it, and I think I think we will find a solution in time. 
I think the only other physical one that didn't come in that um, section, Sam, was the availability of power at those sites. So we can sit and be geography geeks till the cows come home with our mapping and decide exactly where we'd like these vans to be parked overnight to charge and all the wonderful ways we just described. But actually, it can be quite cost prohibitive per site. And I know a lot of the UK is we're, we're divided into our um, distribution network operators, DNOs, and they beg people like us to come forward early to say, we want to build a big, shiny fleet hub here against this perfect A road where we know there's a lot of vehicles struggling to charge so working sort of early on with those people would be advisable but also there's not yet that full appetite within fleets i work with fleets every single day and a really scary number of them are not ready that's not to say they're not going to do it but they don't necessarily want to do it right now because not all the vehicles that they want are available so again it's being forced with forced down that road of sort of innovation first so you've got to do something let's see what we can do and just not be afraid to change it as time goes on it's not you don't have to order 50,000 of the exact same vehicle and good luck with that even if you tried it's just about identifying your what we call low-hanging fruit seeing if there's an alternative vehicle shout out to the AA actually who just released the first hydrogen recovery vehicle um, because they realized that that vehicle was perfectly adequate for the majority of the call outs and yet can be zero tailpipe emission at the time they're moving around the country so innovation again i used to work with one of the largest local authority fleets because we turned a lot of our small vans into kia souls because they had very boxy square backgrounds and made it easy to get the tools in and out and meals on wheels wasn't done by a van anymore it's done by a citroen c0 because it was perfectly adequate for the short journey that we had man that car it was painful i might have got stuck on the m5 once maybe don't tell anyone <laughs> no we are making really good points and i think the amount of miles and therefore the amount of emissions by fleets is just so, so, so much greater than in personal vehicles that it is, it is the huge thing on the agenda. Yes, we can all drive EVs. Yes, it makes a massive difference. But if we don't electrify fleets, you know, the, the dint we're making is small. Yeah, and as Sarah said, I was going to use the same expression, lowest hanging fruit. I mean, every fleet will have different vehicles with different mileages and almost certainly if you've got a fleet, it means you've got more than one vehicle, right? And there's a very good chance that, the, that a number of those are already well within EV range on a daily basis. So, so for fleets um, that are thinking about this transition, just go for the lowest hanging fruit first, you know, and 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 watch watch the savings roll in, you know, and and then keep building upon that in the fullness of time. It's definitely the way to go. Amazing, and I think the the very last question, which I like to always ask, is the token of wisdom. Now, this can be directed just generally, or if you want to, for that next generation of people looking to get into the sector, up to you. Okay, well, for me, it's obvious. It's no longer build it and they will come. It's find who wants it and build it for them because there are people out there who are the equivalent of low-hanging fruit. Fleet managers, which could be a sustainability manager, a building manager. It's not your traditional fleet manager anymore. Somebody who really wants to get to grips with their environmental social governance and also their corporate social responsibilities, their ESG and CSR. They're desperate for your help. Reach out to them, attend events, be on the stage, put your neck out and do a podcast and make sure that people are hearing that you're there to help. So building the infrastructure that people need will see us to where we need to be fastest. Always hard to follow, isn't it? Token of wisdom. What's my token of wisdom? Um, if we do this again, I'll ask you the questions first every time. Yeah, please. Thanks. That's, that'd be really useful if you did. Uh, yeah, what's my token of wisdom? Um, I guess... Uh, understand probably where your energy is coming from would be a good one for me. I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, 
there's a lot of greenwash out there. A lot of people saying they're energy companies when in fact they might be uh, masquerading as as an energy company. So it's always good to know where your energy is coming from to make sure that it is indeed green uh, and the whole supply chain is is uh, is net zero because um, we need to make sure that all the supply chain is renewable, not just the bit at the end. Um, so it's useful to do a little bit of research and understand exactly where the energy is coming from. Um, I think that would be something that uh, that I certainly uh, are far more um, conscious of now that I work at Critserve. So, um, so that would be mine, I think. Amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you both for your pearls of wisdom. Believe it or not, we've kept time and we're going to send Sarah off to Russell Brand. <laughs> we are not keeping her from the show. <laughs> Yeah, reputation. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for both of you for joining us. Um, you've both been great friends to Brightsmith, but also just amazing ambassadors in the industry. So thank you. Um, and we will be sure to ask you both on again. Um, and I think we still had about 17 topics that we didn't even touch on. So we've definitely got more content. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. We'll always support you. Thank you. Uh, Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Brightsmith can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, please head over to brightsmithgroup.com. Join us next time for more conversations in clean tech.